When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yo, we made it. We made it. <laughs> we made it to another live Woke Bros, man. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this latest edition of the Woke Bros. Of course, I'm Big Waz, the Haitian sensation, your favorite Haitian, the Haitian irritation, as always. Joining me, as usual, from Los Angeles, California, and New York City, respectively, Nando Vila and Michael Jamal Shabazz Abdul Brooks. What's up, fellas? How's it going, baby? Nah, I'm, I'm, I'm good, man. Allow lock bar indeed. Give it up for yourselves, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on today's show, uh, we're going to talk about the next phase of the stimulus package as we continue to be mired in this coronavirus hellhole muck. Uh, the Dems are... <laughs> I, we don't know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. And that's what we're going to talk about here. Uh, today, places, red states all over the country are opening up because apparently um, if your favorite band is Skinnered, you can't get coronavirus. <laughs> so That's a scientific Skinner, fact. Skinner's got more appeal. Oh, he does? They do? I've been to, I've been to two Leonard Skinner concerts in my life. Okay, my bad. I just said if it was your favorite band. I ain't trying to disrespect Skinnered. Was I've seen black girls with with Skinner tees. Uh, you know what that is. That's Brooklyn Mike. Stop it. We don't want to pay those people anymore. Come on, man. That's very true. If Leonard Skinner's your favorite band, then you take oat milk as a substitute. Uh, come on now. You can't be lighting incense and banging Skinner. We can't do it. We can't do it. Shea, essential shea butter oils while rocking the Skinner. I, I can't. I just can't see it. I love it. All right. So you're eight for Afropunk. <laughs> I would you know what? I would have loved to go into an Afropunk. I never got to go. It always looked like, you know, something cool that they were doing, but I never got to go. Never never hate, man. You know, we, we salute what they're doing from afar, but come on now. Um, all right, so let's get this started. Um, Waz, Waz always sends out the shots and always leaves room for the comp tickets. That's why I love you. <laughs> you got to. You got to straddle that fence. Come on, now. You got wait, to wait. straddle that fence. Waz, before we get into the prop, the show proper, I want to ask Mike, because I listened to his interview with Cornell West uh, last night, and I want to ask, what does it feel like to have Dr. Cornell West say, I respect you intellectually, I respect your mind, brother. I, you, Michael Jamal Brooks is a blues brother, brother. <laughs> and, that, and that Michael Brooks's new text, his new book coming out is going to end the intellectual dark web from the mouth of Cornell West. What does that feel like? Dude, it's one of those things that feels so like... It's so good that you you can't even you just have to let it be normal. I couldn't stop laughing when he said that like, he's a Michael Brooks is a blues man. Well, I mean, you know, it made sense to me. 
Yeah, I think I it, it fits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly have a lot of angst. No, I mean, look, it was a come on. That's I mean, look, between Lula, Cornell West, I mean, come on. That's just an incredible honor. Yeah. And what I what I did, if you if you listen to the interview, the most I mean, all of that is fun and amazing. And honestly, like Cornell West is so sincere because I didn't like, of course, he was familiar. We met at this event and he was familiar with the show and I, you know, whatever. But I did not mention my book or anything additional. Like, I'm not, you know, yeah. coming to Cornell West with like pamphlets. Right. Like, <laughs> listen, Dr. West, if you have some time to do the show, that would be an honor. That's right. it. Right. And so he was, you know, he was looking up stuff too. And um, that was just an amazing honor. But also, um, I would say the best feedback that I got in that interview that uh, somebody reached out to me and was like, you know, I love Cornell West. I've been following Cornell West's work for ages. And sometimes like, you know, I know his beats. Mm -hmm. And in this interview, like I heard new things, mm, uh, wow. different questions were asked. And, you know, it's over an hour, man. It was it was, it was amazing. Great. Amazing. Highly recommend Honorably. everyone to do that immediately. It'll put a smile on your face in these dark times. Yes. All right. So, you know, man, we, we're going to get right into this. Yesterday, I'm on my Twitter. I see Sherrod Brown um, post something about a, a new proposal. Him and him and Senator uh, Elizabeth Warren are working working on. For those of you who aren't familiar with Sherrod Brown, he's, you know, the Ohio senator, which you know, people can say what they want about Sherrod Brown. Ohio's getting redder and redder and redder by the fucking day, and he continues to win elections out there. So whatever. Take what you will about that. Um, and, you know, they're working on, I guess, improving upon the next phase of the stimulus package. Because as we already knew, like, the, the concept that we would just give American workers 1200 bucks and pat them on the ass and say, good luck, kid. Um, that was never going to work, right? Like, there was always going to be more substantive measures taken to help people, like, literally not go bankrupt and live out on the streets. Um, you know, and I think I don't want to poo-poo some of the some of the stuff that they've come up with. Like, you know, some of it is like uh, they want to protect the stimulus package from debt collectors, which just seems insane to me that somebody would garnish your freaking stimulus package. Well, like, that's happening a lot. That Hell is... Yeah. Woo, man. Oh, my goodness. Like, sometimes, sometimes capitalism just smacks you right across the face. Like, like the realities and the truths of how the system operates. Sometimes, like, you can just read stuff and see it, and you're just like, wow, that doesn't seem like it's on the up and up. And then other times it just smacks you in the face like, yeah, yeah I'm garnishing a freaking stimulus package um, in, a, in a global pandemic. Like, Wow. Okay, um, they want to put a pause on debts like mortgages and rents, um, make those things no interest, no late fees, no penalties accrued during the pandemic. Again, things that would seem just like no brainers, um, specifically when you consider the fact that, again, like $2.2 trillion essentially available for large corporations to just do what they want. Just the concept that we couldn't do something this small 
for people like, yo, how about you just put a put a pause on this shit for for a few months? Just just chill for a few months and we can pick it right back. You know, no harm, no foul. Like, don't tell me people are getting away with some kind of crime because they didn't have to pay rent when they lost their jobs in the global pandemic. Right. Or they were furloughed during this thing. Like these are all, you know, um, this is all common sense stuff. They want to. You know, take it easy on the credit reporting agencies, which, again, all of this stuff just... Like, the idea that the these agencies wouldn't be doing this anyway, like, they wouldn't be baked in that, like, oh, maybe we shouldn't penalize people for non-payment on stuff during this time. Like, all of these things are... Like, again, I don't want to poo-poo what they're doing. I think the most substantive one is they want to get, basically, um, just get rid of the student, student um, loan debt which is a dream of all progressives, which is something people like you and I um, on this call have been talking about for, what, 10 years now? <laughs> if not, you know, longer than that. Uh, you know, and this is just some of the stuff. They want to beef up the CFPB, which is laughable to me because it's like as soon as Trump got into office, the first one of the first things he did was basically make that agency a non-entity. I don't know how it would be tenable to... All of a sudden, be like, "Yeah, Republicans, let's make this a this this oh, agency." That's Warren's brand, man. She's so yeah, just it's just like, oh yeah, this agency that you completely see as not legitimate. Um, let's beef that. Like, I don't even understand why this is shooting. Can like, we do the old look, Nando? I'm sorry. <laughs> go ahead, yeah. Mike. Go off, brother. With Warren, can we just do the old man? Like, like what's the old man? Just, psh- Whatever. Like Livia, Livia Soprano, you know when she always go like, Yes, you ah. Soprano. Ah. Yes. Enough. Yeah. Enough. If I have to hear about the Consumer Financial Protection Agency, <laughs> and Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, you know what it feels like? It feels like we're all, imagine like if all of America were like lived inside a bank, the bank was on fire. It feels like they're like looting the safe. Running outside and locking the door with all of us inside, you know, um, yeah. and they're taking and they're taking loot. Them. Um, I mean, I saw like this morning, I just like wake up and like my dad sent me a text of like, you know, Disney um, is still paying out executive bonuses and dividends to the tune of one point five billion dollars while laying off hundreds of thousands of workers. You know, um, you're seeing all, this kind of thing all over the place. Like just of course, they're going to take massive bailouts with no strings attached and they're going to. They're going to keep it for themselves. Like, why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? Of course. You know, like, and what I sense is that, like, the 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 system and the, the ruling class is kind of, like, divided and doesn't know, like, exactly what the, they should be doing uh, in this crisis. But their first instinct is always, like, protect themselves. I mean, that's just, that's always going to be the case. And you, this these bailouts that happened, I mean, the Democrats just rolled over so pathetically like the i was looking at like the negotiations for the senate bill last night and it's just like it's absolutely pathetic like they got nothing they got like they for in two weeks of like a standstill they got nothing and they just rolled over entirely the republicans are just like nope we're not moving and they're gonna be like they know that eventually democrats will cave that they don't have the backbone to to stand tall and be like yes this is gonna you know like delaying any of this is like is gonna cause people to suffer but like at the end of the day this full-on restructuring of the american economy um, is going to have long-term effects that are almost unimaginable. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't even know, like, how to, how to, like, build the left politics, you know, in the wake of Bernie defeat 
in the wake of like Joe Biden taking the nomination and this massive corporate restructuring in which like they're taking all the loot, firing workers, restructuring all their businesses to become leaner and, you know, less dependent. It's just it, it really is like just overwhelming. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And I and I'm real. what I'm really trying to figure out is. Let's just be very clear that the leadership of the Democratic Party is not in any way remotely to the left. They do not want a strong labor movement. They don't want a universal safety net. They don't want systemically higher wages. I think, look, if you're still deny, if you're in denial about that, I, I don't know what to tell you at this point. Obviously, that's not where they're at. And obviously, a lot of the stuff as far as shoveling money to corporate America, that's a bipartisan project. But the thing that really does sort of shock me is I keep going back to the political predecessors of these like, you know, neoliberal Democrats and people who knew how to win campaigns, people who knew how to be politically, um, you know, opportunistic in, in the right sense. And when you look at what we need to have as a bailout and the pushing that people like Ilan Omar and Ro Khanna and Bernie Sanders and Rashida Tlaib, or, you know, they're pushing through stuff to get people the bare minimum and the obvious things we need right now. Two grand a month, Medicare for all, no, you know, get rid of rent, get rid of mortgages, all of that. Now, the reason the Democratic Party leadership will not embrace those things is because they don't want to raise people's expectations for normal times because they don't want to do those things, right? We all know that's why they won't do that. And at the same time, you're like, there's this guy, Michael Grunwald, who wrote a book years ago basically saying that the Obama stimulus was, I mean, he wrote this. The best thing ever. Best thing ever. And by the yeah, way, like, it was the, the best Obama thing that ever happened in America. Best thing that ever happened in America. The Obama stimulus was decent. There was some good things in it. It wasn't like a disaster, but it needed to be a lot better. But the point was, was that this guy wrote as if the Obama stimulus was the new deal, right? Like, <laughs> so that's the type of guy. This guy is doing threads on Democrats haven't won a damn thing. Democrats are bragging about extra hospital funding. Who the fuck isn't going to get extra hospital funding in a yeah. pandemic? Like they rolled minimum. over. Yeah, they've got nothing serious on state and local aid. They've got not so you look at them just politically, and I think to myself, the stuff like unemployment insurance and other things that they could beef up or fighting for state aid, these are not radical things. These are exactly the type of things that they would poll test really safely and they could run against Trump in the fall and there's nothing structural about. They're good things, but there's nothing structural. There's nothing that implicates their donor base or their ideology. And they're still not doing it. So I am genuinely like, look, I don't think they consciously want to lose. I don't buy that theory, but no, I do think they are. They do, subconsciously they do. And sub and, and, they're so insulated from the consequences. So, I, you know, it's just amazing, especially because, you know, Trump is very fucking beatable. Like people are way too confident about Trump's just going to win. He's not. But the Democrats, like they don't even have a 2006 style anti-corruption message. Hold on. I, I, but, but you know, because people are going to say, Mike, what what are the Democrats to do? Right. Um, Like people are going to say. 
is a straight up go to the mattresses type of fight. Something that the people who vote for them actually want. Like a lot of times I feel like people want them to go in and roll over. Like just get something. When you hear this all the time, this, this, isn't this type of stupid shit all the time. I guess what I'm Not saying is. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they can hold out for. I mean, so really, this is like a game of chicken, right? You know, like oh, it's, and it's, they never it's do always, that though. Yeah, <laughs> the, I guess. Like, but the point I'm just yeah. trying to make is that it's it's not like Politico ran a great piece six weeks ago about how Nancy Pelosi had every type of leverage about Trump. Like, this isn't people who want us to do real things and support Bernie Sanders going take a serious calculated risk for reform. This is people who are political baseball player types saying, and nowhere else have we ever seen a party never be aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> like the, 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 the not getting anything for state and local funding, like that's just going to bite them and bite them in the ass like so badly because like the states can't run deficits. They have, they're just going to have to cut all kinds of like social spending. It's going to reinforce like every single rightward drift. It's going to affect them on the ballot level. Like it's going to affect their ability to win elections. Like it's just, it's, it's, it's like shooting themselves in the foot with everything. Um, and again, like, you know, these things are a game of chicken and like, you know, you really kind of have to have some resolve and some steel and some backbone and then be able to sell your message to the American people. Like, I mean, it's just a very simple thing. Like the Democrats control the house and they have a, a filibuster, you know, ability in the Senate. Like they could block stuff. They could pass something in the house and then run on it and, and basically sell the message and try to dare Republicans to pass it. And like watches like if the economy creators watches their Republican, uh, approval rating crumbles and all that stuff, like in an, in an, in an alternate reality, like that's what, that's what the Republicans did with Obama. Yeah. Right. They just, they filibustered everything. They blocked everything and then watched as his presidency collapsed. That's just like that's just how you do it. I don't know. That's how you do it if you're in the opposition party. Um, and I'm saying and not only that, like just to be really clear, not so they can do a real ambitious right. agenda to win so they can do basic shit that any pollster would tell them would be advantageous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think there's a, a, a miscalculation that I think a lot of people don't understand is that um, – these big corporations actually need this money now and fast. And um, there's like, I don't think those people can wait and sit around and sit on their hands. Like they're going to be putting pressure on Republican congressmen about like, yo, get that shit through ASAP. Like as much as normal everyday people need this shit, like these people are over leveraged which is, yeah. I, I mean, it's just been made manifest. Like, literally two weeks into a shutdown, they were cooked. Like, people were just literally cooked. Like, not even just letting go of work. It's like, we went belly up. We we probably can't exist no more. We need to go bankrupt. Two weeks into a shutdown without a rescue. So, you can imagine the threat of, yo, man, y'all going to be out there naked until we get stuff that we need for normal people. It's just, I just, for whatever reason, I never see a willingness to go there. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, and I think, and Mike referenced it just now when he talked about the president's approval rating, um, 
they think that just because, first of all, it's not a great approval rating. Just, just in a vacuum, it's a bad one, right? But they have this, they still hold on to this stupid, naive idea that doing a bad job is going to get the people who love him the most to think he's doing a bad job. Like, so look at a certain point, like looking at his approval ratings as um, a, a way to chart your course for strategy makes no sense. That's not going to move, yeah. right? Like that shouldn't be your indicator, your North Star about how you should, you know, basically go about negotiating policy. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't understand why they still think Trump not getting killed for his handling of this is some indication that, um... They need to lay off of it. Where well, is not that even, thought But they're not from? even making that case. They're not even pinning all this. Like uh, they're not even like criticizing Trump that aggressively on the failed response, on the lack of testing, on all the lack of medical supplies, on the, the fact that he's not invoking the Defense Production Act to, to just make fucking medical supplies. Like that's just they're not even doing that. Like Joe Biden won't even criticize Trump. Like the, the leader of the Democratic Party, the most visible face of the Democratic Party, the standard bearer, the guy who's going to run in November, is not even criticizing him. I mean, and it's just like it reminds me a little bit of like um, I mean, it's, this is probably like at the at the root of it all. But like a like a labor strike, you know, like a labor strike is a risky thing to do. Like if you're a worker, like you could bankrupt the company if you hold out long enough. And then if you bankrupt the company and it goes belly up, like no one has a job, right. you know, but like you have to be able to willing you have to be willing to kind of go there. You know, because you, it's it's like a game of chicken, and like they and it's the only thing that have, they respect. It's the only thing that they respect, you know. So, yeah, there's a risk, you know. Like there's a risk, and and it's this is a this is a fucking risky, high stakes game in which you know nothing is ever nothing is ever easy and nothing is ever pleasant. But like you kind of have to willing to go there. I don't know how much of a risk. I guess what I'm trying to say though is I really don't. <laughs> I forget, like, forgive me if people have already heard me use this example, but when you think of the Nancy Pelosi ice cream thing, yeah, and you think that this is the most so good, it, it look and so you know good. What? I, I'm 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 even at the point where I'm trying to get inside their demented headspace, and it's like maybe because they're so obsessed with affluent suburban voters, there's like, oh, we put Nancy in a preppy outfit, and she, you know, maybe there's some calculation there. I have no idea, but. The bottom line is, is that in the 1990s, Bill Clinton was so focused on the polls that he polled where to take his family on vacation. In other words, we can't go to Martha's Vineyard this right. summer. We got to go on a camping trip because that's going to play better with people in Ohio who <laughs> masturbate once a week and vote for Republicans in local elections. But, you know, all of that shit. And, and we talk about that as like an example of how craven the Clintons are and how limited the politics of that era was. But I'm going to tell you, man, where the hell is the person in Nancy Pelosi's staff that thinks that they should poll where she goes on vacation? Like th some of this stuff is not that risky. It is not that risky to say several weeks ago, I get that the base of the Republican Party loves this guy, but a lot of other people, including not even people that hate him the way left or liberal people do. But there's a fair amount of people that are like, yeah, Trump's kind of a bullshit artist. I think he's annoying. I'm sick of the melodrama. But yeah, the economy's good. OK, whatever. Well, he just ignored a pandemic, brought us into a depression, and tons of preventable deaths are happening. Yeah, you go out there and you say, listen, motherfucker, like, first of all, it's your fault. 
Secondly, we want X, Y, and Z budget item for generic popular things. And if you hold that up, forget talking about how like you're the real working man guy. I'm sorry. These things are not risks. And, and, these and things the are thing the most obvious. There are good things that are risk. Pushing for Medicare for all is absolutely necessary. It might I guess, pose some risk. I mean, None I mean, of risk, these things I'm talking about pose risks. No, I mean, risk in terms of like delaying kind of like the, un, you know, the unemployment insurance bill and like the and the $1,200. Like some people like kind of like need this shit right absolutely. now. No, I'm saying if they did that's this what I'm saying. That's the risk two, is that three you, months you ago before suffering. we're even talking about a stimulus. Yeah. yeah. I'm just saying – I'm sorry. I'm just saying it's just pure malpractice. Like it before is. you even get to the point, before – like yeah. that none of them even just said tactically, OK, of course we want to pay off corporate America because we're corporatists too. However, <laughs> let's just pretend for a week that we're going to have two different bills, a people's bailout and a corporate bailout and make the administration sweat. They just – Again, it's just you're looking at it, and I'm telling you there's tons of people that don't – Obama, Clinton, Blair, these people are not populists who are anti-corporate, but they would not get rolled like this. Yeah. They wouldn't. <laughs> I mean instead we're – their idea is to blame China. That's their big idea. That's their they big idea. They came up with something – flank Trump on the right on this whole China And even that is dumb as shit. Because yeah. it's it like never what? works. Just talk about the only way they make the stuff with China make sense is to talk about Trump's like petty corruption with China. That's it. But they don't want to talk about it because wh why can't they finally learn from Trump? Like the Biden campaign should just be like, yeah, my son's corrupt. So what? Yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. That's the one thing to learn from Trump. Fuck you. And he's cool. Look, look, <laughs> yeah, and, and cool. again, I feel like Hunter's it's my role to, to have some pushback, whether I agree with you guys, which I do or not. <laughs> I think there's a, I think there's a sense out there. And I think this and I wholeheartedly believe this, that the people who generally vote for Democrats generally want these motherfuckers to play ball. Like they generally mm -hmm. That's don't. Fair. They they generally don't. They don't have that same fighting spirit that the people on the other side do. Like it's like the other side likes to fight just to fight. Like whether like the the, oh, the whole idea of owning the libs is like it's not like that. I get something out of it. It's just like we're fighting and we're winning. Like there's no there's I don't think there's a spirit of that or at least it's never been cultivated amongst the constituency of we need to fight these dudes just to fight. Right. Like we need to have that Mitch McConnell attitude of we're not going to give these fools any wins, period. I don't know that there's a stomach for that within the constituency, because I think people like the word compromise makes a certain type of person feel so warm and fuzzy inside. It makes yeah. them like cream their pants. Just hearing the word compromise, this is like, this feels so amazing. <laughs> the, the compromise, like this is a certain type of, I don't know, personality type that's drawn to the party who loves the concept of bipartisanship or these people, oh, they went to the table and they hammered it out and they got a deal done. Well, Even it's though it's same. basically a deal handwritten by the freaking our overlords, yeah. um, there are people that get warm and fuzzy about this shit, and I think a lot of times that's people that's somebody like Chuck Schumer's um, and Nancy Pelosi's bellwether. It's like, yo, uh, 
We compromised. We did something bipartisan. Like, we came to a consensus. It's so cool. Yeah. I mean, it's the same It's the same people who uh, hate when Democrats, like, fight each other on a debate stage, right? Like, there's some yes, people that like, yes, get very yes, uncomfortable yes. by that, you know? Like, yes. Uh, but, they, you know, like, they... The Democratic playbook for, for forever. I mean, it's just it's the it's the defining playbook of the Democratic Party. Not it's not a new thing. It's always been forever. It's to guess what a reasonable compromise would be from the beginning, and start with that to appear reasonable to some hypothetical voter. <laughs> right? They're like, we'll do we'll propose this kind of reasonable compromise up front. Because people are just to gonna make them jump on board ridiculous. with this reasonable yeah. stuff. Like right. people and, just and, love and, reason. And, no, they and don't. it'll make them look really ridiculous and it'll make us look reasonable. And then the Republicans are like, I want to abolish the IRS. <laughs> and the Democrats are like, okay, we'll settle on uh you know a two trillion dollar tax cut. You know, like, like which is like group. You know but what I mean? Yeah. That's no, the playbook. Like, that's the, that that's the dynamic like, forever. That was the Obama era. It's just like, what about, well, uh, there's a small tax on, on private jet engine fuel. And in exchange, <laughs> we phase out Social Security. And they're just like, how about we phase out Social Security and you apologize for being black immediately? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I think like the – I was. I think you're 100 percent right. I mean, although the numbers have actually been changing a little bit, like relative to a couple of years ago, Democrats are actually getting a little bit more like, no, you need to actually do Fight something. These guys. Yeah. But but I also think, you know, at the end of the day, like, I don't know if they're swing voters or whatever, but there there are some people who vote for Democrats who really are underclass people who you have to show yeah. some actual results to motivate them to vote. And they actually correlate with not a huge amount of people, but I would say like the handful of people who are either theoretically up for grabs or won't vote. Like you're going into a situation where you know that like Trump voters will go out, they will get Corona, they will take an Alex Jones supplement and think they are beating China. In order to get some of the turnout you need just for the models to work for Joe Biden, it can't just be people who are like, you know, I just did this amazing new guided meditation from Oprah and I got the same chocolate ice cream that Nancy Pelosi got and oh my God, Elizabeth Warren is so smart. Like, yeah, I think you're a hundred percent right about all those people, but that they are not a majority. Like they are not. And funnily enough, I mean, that is like one of the funny paradoxes of Biden is like, on one hand, he's senile. The campaign is understaffed and incompetent, but it is really funny because on the other hand, he just doesn't like, he doesn't give a sh- like like their their main national push is just like yeah you want to talk about fuck yeah you you trust the inscrutable Chinese I don't that was the first time it was like you got to call at him I'm gonna get G on the phone yeah. I'm gonna say how G hey me how suck. you put you know you better put. There's 12 pieces in the Kung Pao shrimp, not less. I remember when Chinese food started becoming popular back in Wilmington. You know, I remember those days and it didn't have to be a race thing. But, you know, the Kung Pao chicken had 12, 12 pieces of chicken back in those days. They were big pieces of chicken. They're big pieces. Not tiny little small pieces of chicken and now. it's not just white guys who talk about it, by the way. I remember the Fuji sketches. 
Everybody <laughs> thinks the Fujis were so woke, but they did the work. The, the biggest Chinese boys ever. But but anyways, we got to move forward. I was Barack's <laughs> vice president. What's what's Biden's um? What's what what has Biden's broader message been since nothing. the pandemic started? Nothing. Literally nothing. 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 He's been completely absent. I mean, he th- puts out an ad every once in a while. And he, he does but the, he goes on the he goes on the shows though. He does the little yeah, remote and location it, it, and goes it, it, on the shows. Five minutes. He goes on for like. Four minutes and uh, three and a half of which is completely incoherent um, and doesn't say anything kind of substantive or memorable. And then they kind of shuffle him away and put him back to bed. Like he really just he, I mean, he goes on and he says two or three things that are just complete platitudes. And then says like, you know, we're, we're going to we're going to fight this thing. And we got to we got to beat it. And then that's it. You know, like there's no kind of it's nothing. It's really nothing. It's It's really remarkable. Like there's just. It's a, it's like a total asymmetric situation in which um, there's just a complete void and vacuum at the top, and people are looking and they're just like, okay, I don't like Trump, but what am I getting on the other side? Just kind of a vague, I don't know. My, just, my, I do, my thing is, I do think though that people are getting. I really believe that people are. Like Trump could absolutely lose, even with them doing what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I mean, the the economy is going to be like. I mean, this, yeah, this we're in oil, a the oil prices depression. are this negative. Guy is on TV, telling like, people to take like untested drugs. Yeah. The, the oil, <laughs> the oil prices, oil prices going negative is like. It's, I mean, it should just be like that. Would be like the thing, you know, at any other time right now. You know what I mean? Like this, the 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 economic crisis that is that we're in is so deep and impossible to imagine because we've, we haven't really gone through it in a long, long time. Um, especially not in this kind of world, this kind of globalized world, it's like firing that whole thing back up again is going to be hard as hell. Um, and so, so yeah, anything can happen. Like there is no, there are no rules. The playbook is out, you know, like this, this and you know, like we, we can't expect that, you know, under normal circumstances, yes, the incumbent, um, has huge advantages and Trump is actually a pretty good campaigner and Biden is an awful campaigner and he's completely absent and senile, but like, no, and, and it's, of course, like, you know, the idea that Biden doesn't have a chance is stupid. He has a great chance. He's a very unpopular president. He's a weak president. He's a weak incumbent. He's one of the weaker incumbents that we've seen in a, um, in a really long time. But, you know, you guys mentioned the um, CFPB, um, right, where I know somebody, I personally know somebody who worked there. And essentially when when Trump got elected, the new dude in charge, basically, it's, and those people did real work. They got real money for real Americans. Like they did real work. They were they had a real jobs to do. Um, find these people hundreds of millions of dollars and the billions of dollars that they find banks like Wells Fargo and all these other places and all of that. Right? Trump gets elected. He puts a, He puts a new guy in charge, and essentially what he says is, "Put your pens, pens and papers down." That's it. <laughs> like, like, you have to, like, barricade himself in the office, too. Yeah, like, exactly. Which is, like, you don't even need to... When you, <laughs> you don't need to actively even do anything. You just go in there and say, stop. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but I wonder... Um, 
Because I think a Biden administration is going to be very similar to a Trump administration in that it's going to be staffed literally by the establishment class. A hundred percent across the board. It's not going to be staffed by the establishment class and curated by Barry the way Barry's administration was, where he was like, all right, obviously I'm going to have all Harvard guys on here, but I'm going to pick the Harvard guy, right? Like, it's not going to even be that. It's literally just going to be those elites picking Biden's entire staff, cabinet, and all of that. And I just, oh, that makes me so depressed, bro. <laughs> it really does, bro. It really is a dark, it really is a dark scenario. Like we, I mean, there are not, the, I mean, especially at that level, at the presidential politics level, it's just the, the, the opportunities and spaces for actual progress are just, are unbelievably limited right now. I mean, it could change. I mean, these things change rapidly and, and it's hard to predict, you know, but, um, it does feel like the darkest time in, in a long, long time, you know, that where the, the, I mean, we have, you know, this insane right wing Trump. I mean, he's fucking Trump. Like what, how, what else can you say about him? Uh, and then the, on the other side, you have just the absolute worst version of the, of the democratic party. Right. The, 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 like, even in, in the context of like the Democratic Party is awful always, this is like the worst version of that. Um, and the most, and the most impervious to like this, this whole idea that like if we do like a lot of pressure or something that we can move them, we can move them on certain issues or whatever. Like, I don't think they even, it's not that they don't even care about, they don't even know we exist. You know, it's like, they don't even know, like, we might as well be like a SoundCloud rapper to Biden, you know? Like, you know what I mean? Like, he'd be like, what is this guy talking about? You know, like, it isn't, it's just like. Those were the gay guys that talked about sports that wanted socialism. But I'll tell you what, got some stuff we'll do for you. Yeah. Anyways, can I have a Fig Newton? I mean, this is why, I, this is why, you know, I couldn't be like. There's there's a type that still wants you to do like fake nuance. And this is why I went to the mattresses for Bernie, because like, I'm sorry, it was going to be Biden. Uh, sure. I guess there are a couple of other ones that would, you know, Biden is the ultimate depressing option. But I really did think it was going to be Bernie or Biden. But even just ideologically and what they you know, it's all the same. Right. And. That Bernie thing, man, like I'm not trying to make people like got to keep fighting. There's more opportunities. Keep going, whatever. But like that was why this was not the race to be like, oh, look at, you know, Elizabeth Warren's writing some great blog posts. And, you know, golly gee, you know, Andrew Yang, like Bernie's week was, on Sesta Fosta. And, yeah, yeah. Like please, it was like this was really important. This was yeah. really fucking serious. It and was a tiny little window. It was a little window, man. And I wish people, I mean, a lot of people did, but I wish more people treated it with the undivided and serious urgency it warranted. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, now we can move on to less depressing things um, in the Michael Jordan Last Dance documentary yeah. airing live on ESPN. Um, you guys haven't seen it and. And um, sorry, I got distracted by a text. No, if you if you haven't seen it, of course you guys lived through the '90s. You remember yeah. the 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 uber mega star, star and the amount of star wattage that that you know was around MJ at the time. I think the first two episodes 
do a nice job of, of demonstrating that, right? Like them going to Paris for a preseason game and everyone going absolutely nuts for these people in, in Paris and, and Mike specifically, right? Um, just, you know, just all the stuff that was, so, all the drama. Like, I don't think a lot of people, I know I didn't because I was so young. I was 11 years old at the time. I didn't realize so much drama was around the team for that final season. Like, a lot, mm. like, and this drama in today's NBA, but you rarely see this much involved in the start, the two best players and the freaking coach and the GM. And it's like, and of course they have Dennis Rodman on the team, which is his own sideshow. It's like, there's just so much theater. The characters involved are also interesting, just fascinating people. Um, just the, the when they tie in the group dynamics and why certain people hold certain resentments against these people and you know, all in the, all in the midst of putting the, putting the, tying the bow on a, one of the greatest runs in the history of American sports. I think the first two episodes just do a great job of highlighting that, and of course, like just the clips of of young MJ is just it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's I always think about this because like the NBA has become. Uh, almost like a like an ongoing reality show in which the drama off the court is just as entertaining and as newsworthy and uh, as the drama on the court right like you know whether you know this player is going to like the whole Kawhi stakes and like the, the the golden state warriors all this like the beefs off the court like all that shit has become kind of partly almost like as important as whatever happens on the court. Um, but back then that wasn't the case. And there was this kind of image around Jordan that obviously was like justified, but it was so shaped by a mainstream media that like, it just doesn't exist and isn't as unable to shape narratives the way it used to, right? Like had Jordan been in the social media era, I think we would have a totally different view of Jordan, right? Like, all of that dirty laundry would have been aired at yeah. the time. Whereas at the time he was seen as kind of like, you know, ruthless competitor, but like in, in the positive way and like, mm -hmm. you know, expecting a high level from his teammates, but like as a sort of inspirational positive way, not like as this like raging psychopath, um, you know, <laughs> who, who like punched Steve Kerr in the face in practice. Um, and, uh, so it's just like, it's funny to look back at that era. I think everyone's been waiting for the Jordan, like a big Jordan doc like this for a long time because, um, and I remember like watching his, uh, his hall of fame speech when he got into the hall of fame speech and like, I had, I didn't know that Jordan was like this, but like seeing this like petty, resentful yeah, 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 man, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like. Whoa, dude, you're like the greatest, man. Yeah, what are you yeah, what yeah. are you so bad he, about? He, he destroyed he destroyed <laughs> like, his own kids during holy his shit. Hall of Fame acceptance speech. It was yeah, it was ruthless Mike on display for sure. Yeah. I was like, man, you must have been a fun teammate, dude. Like, <laughs> but like, I mean, obviously still like the greatest, right? Like this is still like, you know, that's uh, so I, I, I can't wait to see it. I just I wasn't was able to like, watch it live, but you, you know, I can't wait to see it when it streams. Yeah. Um I've I mean, I, I feel like we've known that Michael Jordan was an asshole for a very long time. Yeah. And I think all of these conversations, I think it's interesting and I think it's worthwhile to explore like what the main competitors in the world today, like what kind of cultural messages they're sending. And I think, you know, it's all, it's all interesting and it's all worthy, but I also, I guess, cause I'm also so sick of social media, which I know is like a fucking cliche take, but I am. <laughs> and I'm tired of all the gossip and I'm tired. Like, I like that 
Jordan could be like a mystifying figure when we were yeah. kids. Like I like that, you know, there there was an element. I it, I feel like on one hand, you got to be much more serious in general about people's privacy. Obviously, in terms of like government and corporations, but even like each other. And I I also feel, you know. I don't know. Like it was cool. It's it's very rarely like Andre Agassi is one of the only guys in sports. You read his book open. That's like one of the best sport. Actually, that's my favorite sports memoir. And yeah. the guy, he takes you in, you know, I mean, he had a rough time and you look at it and you go through all of it and you end up being he was like, wearing wow. a wig. Yeah. Like <laughs> what? wearing a wig. But Talk about Andre like, Agassi. What? It's a good that that's why I always wanted because it, I loved Andre and I never understood. I mean, Andres Gomez is a great player, but I had no idea why he beat the shit out of him at the French Open final. Now we know because the winds, right? <laughs> Andre was afraid to run. And I'm just saying like that. And that book does make you leave like, all right, Andre Agassi is a cool guy who's really done some work on himself. He's very humble. He's very insightful. Um, and it's, and it's, it's good to know. But on the other hand, there's like a part of me that's just, I don't know. I don't need to know ever. Like I need to know that he's amazing on the court, that he was such a cultural phenom that even things that sure in a bigger sense, I can criticize, but just in and of themselves, like the Gatorade ads were cool. Yeah. The Nike ads were cool. The Space Jam was cool. Face Jam was very cool that the Chicago Bulls was like a mythical thing that even to this day, you can read some, you know, you can go to Bhutan and somebody has a Jordan Bulls jersey. And of course, like I think in the political sense to, to recognize like it's the 90s and and the ways he played race and the ways that he exemplifies capitalism, like, of course, like let's analyze that. And sure, the guy's a jerk, but like, on the other hand, let's just, let's, let's let some of the mystique stay. I know it's a very reactionary thing for me to say, but it's what I think. Yeah. Well, yeah. I got a question for you. Yeah, sure. What do you, what do you make of this? Like, uh, the new, like advanced metrics take that like Dennis Rodman was actually the best player on the team. <laughs> I mean, have I, you seen I, that? Have you, I have guy not did like a, seen, this guy did like a 50 page. I have <laughs> like not dossier. seen that. Um, if <laughs> funded by North Korea, bro, it's incredible. If 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 your advanced metrics tell you that Dennis Rodman was a better player than either Mike or Scotty, you probably need to work on your advanced metrics. Like you need to figure <laughs> something needs to be figured out with whatever digits you're putting into your little widget or whatever. Like something <laughs> something needs to be figured out. Now, if you want to tell me. Dennis Rodman was the most compelling player of the bunch or he has the most fascinating story or you he, he was the most you know you were more drawn to him and like his look and him putting on dresses and riding motorcycles and all of that like that's cool but there's no nobody with a brain <laughs> could could see that result get spit out and say yeah yeah I'm gonna run with that no 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 sir no <laughs> No, sir. But anyway, make sure you guys watch The Last Dance on ESPN. I think it's excellent. Um, the first two episodes were excellent. From what I've been told, um, that's 
those are actually the two worst episodes of the series because it's basically oh, rehashing news and tidbits that we all already knew. Um, we're going to get into some deep shit going forward, so everybody should be watching that. Make sure you tune in to Count the Dings After Dark live tonight. Um, make sure you become a patron of Count the Dings. Of course, we appreciate the support. TMBS, of course, doing major things. Become a patron over there. Uh, Mike, like you mentioned before the show, he just did an episode that's up now on all podcast forums Um um, um, platforms, excuse me, where he talks to Dr. Cornell West, which I know is a freaking milestone achievement for the show and for Mike personally, because he's a big fan of the guys. We all are. And Nando, man, tell the people what, what, what you got going right now, brother. Yeah, well, I got a little entourage podcast that uh, Michael oh, Brooks yes, was just yes, on. Yes, big yes. Waz, we're going to have to have you on. Of course. Uh, Let's in do the that. next episode or two. I love this we had, podcast. We had a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Uh, Why? You gotta get on that. No, shit. we will. 100. percent There's no doubt yeah. about it. The Mike episode will probably drop tomorrow morning. I'm thinking that's what I'm gonna release it. So um, yeah, be sure to check that out. It's the it's the Gary Busey episode. Uh, it was a good time. All right, so we'll see you guys next week on the Woke Bros. Make sure you check us out throughout the week and all the things that we're doing. We're out of here, guys. Later, y'all.